0: Good morning. We have been announcing to you for a couple of weeks that uh, we have the honor of having a very special guest with us uh, this morning and I want to uh, take the privilege of introducing him to you. Um, I know you are going to really receive richly from his ministry this morning. Um, w- uh, I, several years ago, probably three or four years ago, I was at a conference and at, uh, I met a young man at that conference named Andrew. And, uh, Andrew and I just, you know, in this kind of sea of humanity, just kind of, you know, made a beeline to each other. It was just like a, a, a spirit thing, I guess. And, and, uh, we were very similar in thought and, and value and theology and all kinds of things. And, and really, uh, I, I really began to deeply appreciate Andrew. And so we haven't, uh, really become I would say fast friends, but we've, we've maintained a friendship mostly through social media and, and, uh, I've been kind of following his steps of adopting children. That's kind of something that's really important to him. Say all that to say several months ago, he posted something and he just said, put it out there. Generally said, my dad is doing this work in missions and anybody, any of my pastor friends, they would like to find out more, get to know him, even support him, uh, let us know. Well, we at that point were in a position where we were wanting to expand our missions uh, uh you know, kind of reach and and uh, so I thought, I trust Andrew, I'm going to give this guy a call. And so well, Andrew set it up and we talked to each other for probably w- at least an hour uh, uh, on the phone that day and uh, visited about his work in Africa. And I was really touched, really impressed with what the Lord is using West White to do, and so I immediately went to the elders, set up a zoom call with them and and uh, Wes, and uh, they had the exact same uh, experience it was It was clear usually we um, uh, you know, we're, we can be kind of slow moving because we want to be thorough, but, but it was clear to us that, uh, that we needed to be in relationship with Wes. And so at our next elders meeting, we made that official and took him on support. Now we began his first official support from us came in the third quarter missions offering. And, uh, we will continue that hin, you know, here on going forth. We're taking our, our fourth quarter missions offering today. And I hope you're prepared for that. But let me tell you a little bit about Wes. Um Wes, uh, has, uh, you know, He's uh, I'm trying to find out where I am in the story because I wrote down some notes But he's obviously a faithful servant of the body of christ. He's been a pastor. He's been a youth pastor He's been a missionary in belize um, Has a phd from liberty university and has put it all to the work of the uh, of the uh, ministry This has not been just a, something to impress people on his wall when they come into his house To, the, to look at his piece of paper, but he has put it to, to building the kingdom one of the things that wes told me yesterday that that uh I loved and he'll, I'm sure he'll tell you more about this was that, um, he, he talked about how the Bible, you know, says that, that men have 70 or 80 years to live. And, and he he said, imagine those like, you know, 20 year quarters of a football game. He said, when is the game won and lost? And he said, clearly in the fourth quarter. And yet in our culture, we talked about this yesterday at the men's meeting, if you were there clearly in the, most people in our culture in their fourth quarter, that's, that's the time where they relax and kick back and do nothing. And, uh, and the kingdom of God, uh, gets no contribution from their lives. Well, West has determined that would not be the case with him. And I think once he begins to tell you his story and of his work, I think you're going to see that very clearly and, and see a man who is faithful, see a man who is, who is, uh, diligent and consistent and persistent in the kingdom of God. And so before you, welcome him. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to read from the scriptures for us. We're actually looking at two small passages today for Wes's message. We're going to begin in 2 Timothy 2.2. If you're using one of the blue Bibles in the back of your seats there, that's on page 578. And so find that and stick your finger in there. And then we're also going to be looking at Matthew 28, 19 through 20, which will be on page 487 of those blue Bibles. And we always like to remind you, if you're here today and don't have a Bible, by all means, take that Bible home with you as our gift. Um, we want you to have that. But uh, these are the verses we're going to be reading this morning. So beginning in 2 Timothy two two, hear the word of the Lord. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then over to Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thus says God's word. Would you please welcome Wes White as he comes this morning?
1: Well, good morning well we're not going to make you stand as long as I do in a wedding, so you may be seated it's a joy to be with you there's such a sweet spirit in this place it's such a such a evidence that you love the lord you know you it's not what's what what do they call that in the out in california aura it's not an aura there's not multicolored lights flashing around your heads. There is a common spirit. A spirit of the Almighty that is resident in each of you and then is is resonates with the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus, when He sent His disciples out and He said, Go into a home... And, and if if your peace right resides there, then stay with them there's a connection there's a spiritual connection and when I first began to talk to uh, Pastor Mark and to the elders, it was on this that it most um, touched my heart this idea of um, a relationship of resonance, a closeness now I've never been to Lubbock before. I like Lubbock. You, you got lots of space. You're spread out. I, I travel in third world cities. Uh, I have not seen as many people in Lubbock as I have at the intersection of downtown Nairobi. Okay. And, and they're all on a motorcycle. Every one of them trying to cut in front of you. But, uh, it is, I, I like this. It's clean. It's nice. You got lots of Walmart bags. They're they're everywhere. And uh it's a it's a nice place and I really am enjoying it and thank you for having me here. Let me just correct one thing because I'm not one to take credit for what I haven't done. I do not have a PhD from Liberty University. I have a master's degree from Liberty, I have a master's in religious education from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and a doctorate in leadership from New Orleans. So I do not have a PhD. So I, I that's a whole nother other class of people. We'll save that for Tyler over there when, when he does that. I'm I'm just a... Do you want to know what I am? I'm a country boy from Alabama is what I am. That's what I am. I'm plain. Do you realize that God just uses plain people? And He's looking to use people like you. And I'm excited to be here. I'd love to know every one of your names. I'd do my best to get to know you and remember you and try to... Uh I usually try to mingle around a little bit and get people's names so I can call them out in the middle of the service when I see them dropping off and going to sleep. Uh so uh but I, I'm at a disadvantage. I don't I don't know you this morning. Let me let me take you back to the passage of scripture found in Matthew. And that's a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. We all know that, right? That that passage in Matthew where um, Jesus has just gathered all of his disciples together for the last time. They're on the mountainside. There, he's pre- he's preparing to ascend into heaven. I-, I love this passage of scripture, and I think I- I- what resonates me most with it, if I can get this turned here, is the prelude to that. I love what it says there because it, you know, the Bible doesn't make heroes out of people. Are You aware of that? He doesn't. They don't make heroes out. They show People, the people that serve God with all of their flaws, with all their blemishes. Read the Old Testament. The Old Testament is filled with messy people. Messy, messy. I teach the Old Testament and sometimes some of the people I teach, they're like, no, that didn't really happen. Like, yeah, it's right there in the scripture. It's, it's messy. And even in the last moments that Jesus is on this earth, there's this really cool thing. Please forgive me, I, I tried to find a really impressive lie to tell you about how I hurt my shoulder. Uh, you know, something like a lion grabbed me when I was in Kenya and shook me around and broke my shoulder, something really delicious like that. Um, or, or maybe that I was in a rebel-held territory and they twisted my arm and they made me, and they made me say, I deny Christ. None of those things. I, I tripped on my granddaughter's high chair. That, that's how impressive it was. That's my wound right here. Uh, so I have some good war stories from some of the others, but not this one. Look here at Matthew chapter 28 and it started at verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed him, directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Now let's, let's remember what we're reading here. This is the resurrected Messiah. This is the son of God who they watched surrender his spirit on a cross. And now He is before them, resurrected. and says they worshipped Him, but some doubted. You see that? They worshipped Him, but get the irony of this. They're standing in front of the resurrected Lord. And some doubted. Boy, we're a little thick, aren't we as people? It takes us a while. They worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them all, all authority on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. End of the verse, right? End of the thought? Not end of the thought. See, we talk all the time about the great commit, the great The Great Commission. We talk all the time about what our role is and what we're to do. And we couch that purely in the process of evangelism. Go into all the world and make disciples. And we leave off the baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That That's critically important because what is that? That's their introduction into the church. We're not just going and making disciples and then leaving them on to their own understanding, but they're introduced into the church. Go and make disciples, baptize them, and then teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. This is a great commission has. Three things that make up one mandate. We are to evangelize. We are to introduce people to the church. And we are to teach and prepare them. And somehow or another over the course of the last 50 years, and I'll tell you, you know, I'm part of that last 50 years. I'm guilty. I started in 1981 in in full-time ministry while I was in college. So if you're doing the math, I'm old. Okay. I'm in the fourth quarter. And I started in 1981 doing ministry while I was still in college. And for so much of the time, I spent my entire focus on evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. And I've seen a generation of people grow up that are a mile wide and an inch deep. They have no depth of theology. And if it's been that way where I am in the United States, friends, let me tell you something. Where we are in Africa is exponentially worse. I serve as the Associate Director for East Africa. I'm responsible for over 65 Bible Institute locations in Kenya, Uganda, South Sudan, Ethiopia, Tanzania, Malawi, and we will open in Burundi and in Sudan this year. Yes, Sudan. A completely Muslim nation. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Somebody said, well, you're not going. I said, I'm not going till I can. Just as soon as I can get on a plane, I'm going. Absolutely. What an opportunity to teach Christian pastors how to reach their Muslim neighbors. Where else would I want to be? Goodness. So I, I, what I do is I administrate these 65 locations. I, I work with national leaders called regional coordinators and then I go and teach and I take American pastors and leaders to go with me and teach. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute, but I want to, I want to talk to you about this reality. When God gave us the Great Commission, when Christ gave us a Great Commission that is found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, He didn't leave us without a mechanism. He didn't say, okay, now, you go do those things, you go do those things and, and just figure out how to do it. My dad called me one time when I was a teenager, we, I was, I grew up in Southeast Kansas and I had a 66 Mustang and it, it, I called my dad, he was at work, and I said, Dad, when I turn the key, it goes, whee. He said, what? I said, he goes, whee. He said, do it one more time. I said, whee. He said, oh, the Bendix has gone out of your starter. I said, okay, all I know is he goes, whee. He said, i tell you what, I'll show you how to change that when I get home. Go ahead and take the starter off. And he hung up. Well, I didn't know a starter from a transmission. Now, y'all, this was 1978. There, were no, there was no internet. Our internet was Chilton's Auto Manual, was what it was. Anybody old enough to remember the Chilton's Auto Manual? You know what I'm talking about? I didn't have one of those. And so I called him back and I said, what does it look like? He said, it's on the firewall. He said, it's right there. You can't miss it. Yes, I could. So I looked and looked and looked and he said, when you get that starter off, there are three bolts, you take that starter off, the Bendix is right there, you take it out, we'll replace it when I get home. So I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked and I finally, I, I said, this must be the starter and I pulled it off and I, and, and when I did, I, I, um, I looked and I looked and, and there weren't any bolts. And so I called Dad back. Now it's the fourth time I've called him at work. he's ready to pinch my head off. He said, "What?" I said, "There are no bolts on." He said, "Well, it's probably a sealed starter." Probably he said, "Just leave it right there." I got home He got home, I went out to the barn, went out to my car, and I said, "Here you go, Dad, here's a starter." And he just doubled over laughing and said, "Son, that's a coil. That is not a starter." And he brought me over. The coil is about this long. A starter's about this big. I missed it by a lot. You see, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to do what I was doing. I had a mandate, but no mechanism to get the job done. And you know what that usually produces? Error. Error. Do you want know what we have in Africa? We have people who have responded to the gospel in mass. We see some of the greatest revival that has ever happened in the history of the world in East Africa. People are getting saved by the tens of the thousands. They have embraced the mandate. but They have no mechanism. They have no idea how to do what they are called to do. Jesus laid out the mechanism. He started in the, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, it said they, in chapter 2 verse 42, it says the church, them, that's what happened. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem, tarry there, they went to the upper room, they came out, the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were regenerated, they were born again, and the church was born that day. He said, now, Here's what you do. Devote yourself to the apostles doctrine, to fellowship and prayer and the breaking of bread. Here's your mechanism. I was so thrilled actually to see that you do, you take the Lord's table every Sunday. Thank God that you take time to remember his death until he returns. He said, here's your mechanism. And if that wasn't quite clear enough, in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, if you just look with me there for just a moment, he says in verse 12, and he gave gave gifts to the church. The mechanism is the church by which the believer is prepared. He said he gave gifts to the church. And he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And they had specific tasks. That task, then, in verse 12, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Here's what he said, let me put a synopsis for you. Equip the saints, the church, the pastors, the teachers are to equip the saints, build up the body, deepen their knowledge of Jesus, strengthen their maturity and put them in a place where they're no longer susceptible to false doctrine. Do you see this? You see this in the text? Not West making it up. It's here in the text. What's the work of the pastor, the teacher? Thank God you have elders here who embrace the call to train and prepare you to provide you with theology. You say, why do we have to have theology? Because you will fall into error without theology. You will fall into something that sounds good and is tasty. You'll fall under the, the, the lie that if you will just have, if you'll just believe hard enough, you'll get everything you want. It's not even your design. Jesus said in this world, you will have troubles. John chapter 14. Boy, there's a sales pitch. That won't work on TBN. Hey, guess what? This week's special for Christianity is troubles. And here's what I promise you. Be happy because I had them too. Be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. You see, we fall into error if we don't have the right mechanism. And that's exactly what we're facing in East Africa. Can I share a couple of statistics? Usually when I share statistics, people's eyes roll back in their head and they say, this would be a good time for me to catch a few seconds. So I'm only going to share two with you. This first one, in the United States, there are there is one trained pastor for every 230 people, not church members, people. So in the 360 million people that are in the United States, one, there is one trained pastor for every 230 people. But where I serve in East Africa... That ratio is 1 to every 47,250. 85% of our pastors in East Africa have no training. And how in the world can an untrained pastor equip the saints, build up the body, strengthen their knowledge of Jesus, strengthen them towards maturity, and, and, and guard them against false doctrine? How can they do that? Can you do what you don't know how to do? I couldn't take a starter off a car because I had no idea what a starter was. These guys love the Lord. They're, it's amazing. I went to, to Remy. That's, I, I love the names in East Africa because you just can't say them like an American. You have to, you have to untangle your tongue. Remy, Remy is this little bitty I mean, this little place you go to, you come into it. It's just a little blip, and then you go down a little road, and then you go down something that a goat can't go down. While you're still in a Toyota Corolla, and and you're going down this rock, and you're doing this number back and forth, and you get down and got into this little this little church. This little church was um, it wasn't as wide as this section. It, It was let's go over three three chairs, okay? Cut off these three chairs. That's how wide it was. It was this deep. And there were 170 pastors in there. It was 147 degrees in that room, I promise you. We went in and we began to teach. And oh man, the more excited they got, the more the funk grew in that room. I want you. 170 pastors and we would, they would get excited and they would, they would shout and they're, they, I, I love Uganda because they do something that I wish we could do, I wish we could do in the United States. They do a, it's called a Ugalula. They'll just do it, sound like a turkey call. And they'll just right at the top of their lungs. They'll just, as loud as they can. I can't do it like that. And it's always the women. And they're so good at it. And it scares me to death every time they do it. I, I jump right out of my skin because they don't, they don't work up to it. You know, I grew up in a denomination where we worked up to it. I had no time to work. Just something touched Wow! they just take off and, and have a great time you know and then that sparks a whole nother round somebody's jumping and somebody's Africa everybody's dancing you ought to I can dance I'm telling you I have learned how to dance while I've been in, in Kenya and I but then they, they're just so rich in their worship 170 people and they're in there and they're and they have no clue no clue even what their salvation means. And I begin to unpack for them salvation by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. And I begin to tell them it isn't your works. It isn't your behavior. It is the work of God in Christ Jesus. And they all of a sudden begin to catch it. And I show it to them in the Word and they get excited. I had 100 Pentecostal pastors jump up at the end of three days and begin to shout and wave their arms and say, we are eternally secure! We are eternally secure! I was like, hallelujah! Take some of that back to the United States. I'm a Baptist pastor. I wish my parishioners would get that excited about their salvation. So He gave us some mechanism. And that pastor is to protect, to train, to keep them from error. You see what we have in, in East Africa is we have uh, neo-Pentecostalism and the prosperity gospel. And then we have a misuse of the idea of what their salvation is. And then they add their their African tribal religion stuff into it. I was doing an institute location, and by the time we finished Soteriology, the Doctrine of Salvation, I had tens of pastors, pastors, who came forward and destroyed their personal idols, their home idols that they kept in their house. They had no idea. They had no idea that there was one God and Him alone were they to worship. So the the mechanism is the church. This is what Christ, through the apostles, now gave us to understand. But there's a final thing I want to show you here, and I didn't I didn't even ask, y'all done by one one thirty? What's it? You know, it never fails to get a laugh when I do that. What's the methodology? So I'm going to pull through this real fast, and I'm going to tell you a little bit of what we're doing at the very end. Tell you one story, and I'm done. Okay, so you've seen the crib notes. What's the methodology? He's given us a mandate: go. But I don't know how to do that. Go and 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 make disciples. And and he's given us the the mechanism. He uses a church, pastors train people who train people. Okay, what's the methodology? Look with me in Second Timothy chapter one. 13. And this is critically important because I find that churches in the United States fail to follow the methodology. I can't tell you how many places I preached at, and I'm, I'm a Southern Baptist preacher, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, not a lot of Southern Baptist churches are really that strong in, in, in theology. they really, I'm in a great church where I, where I am. No, I'm not the pastor. I wasn't bragging. uh, I'm in a great church and my pastor is a great theologian. He goes and teaches with me. He's a great theologian. And I love the fact that we focus on theology every Sunday as we preach the Scriptures. So, So that we find some weakness in the methodology in the church world, even in the United States. Look, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13 says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now this is Paul talking to Timothy. Paul's talking to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow the sound words that you've heard. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, I want you to know them and walk in them. You know what I find a problem most of the time? People have a lot of knowledge and not much obedience. Easy, don't shout me down. Okay. They have a lot of knowledge... But their obedience is weak. Because the truth of the matter is, we were raised, we've been raised in such a nation where we want to be the masters of our own destiny. You can be anything you want to be. That's what they used to tell me when I was a kid. You can be anything you want to be. I have news for you. I will never be a sinner on the Los Angeles Lakers. I just never will. I cannot be anything I want. I want to be. The only time I ever played sinner was when I was in three months on a mission trip in the Philippines, and that was awesome. They were all waist high. I didn't even have to do a sky hook. I will never be a sinner. Well, you will not be what you want to be. You'll be what Christ wants you to be. Cause Newsflash, He's got, oh my, oh my kids hated this. Growing up. They hated this. I drilled this in them so many times. I would say, He's God, you're not. You get this? He's God, you're not. He's in control, you're not. He's in control, I'm not. We ever really grasp this and understand that He's God and we're not, it'll change our philosophy. He said, follow the patterns of the sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Know them and walk in obedience. Or as Nike would say, just do it. Just do it. What you've heard, do. Love. Love people who are different than you. Love people who are not um, attractive to you. Radiate the love of Christ everywhere you go. I run the risk of being thought a, a, a weird guy, but everywhere I go, I talk to people. I just talk to them. I'm foolish enough to think that most of them are lonely. And you know what? When I go to a restaurant... My wife says it's the craziest thing in the world. I'll go to a restaurant, and and I haven't done it on this trip, and I apologize for that. But when they come to deliver the food, well, we've gotten our own food every time. That's why. So when they come to deliver the food, I'll say, you know, I'm about to pray over this food. Could I pray for you? You can't imagine what that does for people. I've had waitresses pull up chairs, sit down, and pour their heart out. I was in a huddle house. That's my level of... Of um, high high sophistication, a huddle house, just like a Waffle House. And I, uh, I was in a huddle house, and I asked a lady this, and she shared her, she shared her needs with me, and she stood there, and we prayed, and she wept a little bit, and she left, and I had just got one mouthful of food, and here came another waitress. She said, "I heard you pray for my my friend." She said, "Would you pray for me?" And it was just a, it was just a parade. As one after another, all around me, all around me, were hurting. I needed someone just to care, just to listen, just to pray. I want you to know something, Paul. Paul's telling Timothy, look, just do this, live out this love, live out this faith. Just do it. The second thing in the methodology is this. He says, continue in what you've heard, Second Timothy three fourteen. Continue in what you've heard. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe knowing from whom you've heard it. Okay. He knows what he's talking about. God has prepared you and he, Timothy Paul is your mentor. You can trust the source. The source is reliable. So trust him and just Do it. Continue in what you've heard. If the first is just do it, the second is never, never, never give up. Never give up. Just continue. The third thing that is in this methodology is found in 2 Timothy 3.16. And here's what he says. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped... For every good work. The goal of teaching them to observe all things. Is that they will become prepared. They'll be prepared to be trained in righteousness. They'll be prepared for correction. The man of God will be complete. The man of God will be complete. And then there's one more. And this is where I, I, I'm going to talk to you about world hope. Can I can I quit preaching and start talking now? Is that okay? Can I do that? So, I raised my family in Belize. In fact, can I take this off or is that against the rules? I mean, huh? Okay. Because a lot of people have rules. I was just joking. <laughs> Thanks. So I, I raised my family in Belize, and, and not and not out at the islands. You know, that would be really cool. Now we were in the rainforest. We were in a vocational school in Belize and uh, raised two of my three children there. The third was born there. And, uh, I had a woman one time jump on me and say, how could you do that to your children? Your son didn't get to play Little League and your, your daughter, she didn't get to, she didn't get to do dance and ballet. I said, no, but they caught parrots by the river. Did your kids? You know? They go to school has 22 different ethnicities. Does yours? I don't think my kids missed out on anything. Thank you very much. And, Part of my work was to work with teams, U.S. teams that would come down from the States. And I would take them out and I would take them to churches and we would do evangelism. We'd do vacation Bible schools. We'd do revivals. We'd do all kinds of evangelism. We would see real people, real genuine conversions. People really got saved. But then we would hand them off to pastors who had no concept how to train them. I saw it over and over and over again. And I would watch those people as they would fall into error and they would fall into abuse. I'd see some pastors who would abuse their church members and treat them with such a mean-spirited authoritarianism that nothing reflected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I watched the church in Belize founder and almost fail. They had one seminary in the entire country, and that seminary was found in the capital city. And in order to go there, you had to pay ex- exponentially high fees. You had to move there. You had to get a job. You had to live there for four years, get your degree, and then maybe you go back home. But here's what happened. They wouldn't go home. They wouldn't go back to that little village where they were raising corn and having a few pigs. They stayed in the city. They stayed with their jobs. Their children stayed in schools. And more of the pastors left the villages. More of the, more of the rural countryside had less and less training. And I remember praying when I was living there, God, there's got to be a solution. There's got to be an answer. There's got to be a way to do this. And about five years ago, four or five years ago, well, six years ago, I guess, I was, I was a conference speaker in Costa Rica. I was the uh, keynote speaker. Uh, and I don't know why they had some real missions, heavy hitters, but they wanted somebody that would, that heavy hitters were very interesting, but they wanted somebody who would preach. And so I, they brought me in and I was, the, I was a keynote speaker. I opened and I closed. And I got to know a guy there by the name of Stuart Sheehan. Stuart Sheehan was the president of World Hope Ministries International. I went back, met with him about a year later. I was pastoring, by the way, by the way, I was pastoring a comfortable church. A comfortable church. A comfortable Southern Baptist church. I I lived in, and and this is not bragging because it really is not about me. We lived in a town of 500 and 300 of those people were regular attenders in our church. We had about 600 on roll, but the IRS couldn't even find all of them. And so we, we, we had a comfortable church, really, honestly. They paid me a good salary. I only needed about four or five more years. I could retire, be comfortable. I met Stuart and I went with him to Aguas Calientes, Mexico. Aguas Calientes is up in some of the rebel held territory, uh, some of the, uh, cartel territory. It's a big city, 900,000 people, they, a lot of educated people. We had an institute location there and I went and I saw it firsthand. I taught with Stuart and I was just amazed. I was so moved by what I saw. There was 120 people there who were so hungry to learn and hungry to grow in Christ. Hungry to be prepared to really bring about what Paul talked about in Ephesians 4 and their people. I came back and I said, man, I want to do this. I want to do this. And this is fantastic. And I said, this is what I... You know, my heart's been in missions. Even though I've been a pastor for 12 years, at that time it was 10, I said, you know, I I want to do this. Uh, The church I was in, we had brand new facilities. We had state-of-the-art everything. My heart began to crave to teach those pastors. And then COVID hit. And I said, I cannot leave my church in the middle of COVID. I cannot do that. And so uh, I stayed with the church for two years. But something remarkable happened in those two years with World Hope that made it from a desire to an absolute passion for me. The last piece of the methodology Paul lays out in the scripture and Brother Mark shared. These things which you've seen and heard of me, Second Timothy two, two, these things which you've seen and heard of me, Paul, you Timothy, commit to faithful men a third generation who are also able to teach others a fourth generation. Give away what I've given you to generation after generation after generation. And here's what happened in COVID. We were bringing pastors and we were building locations. And and before COVID, there were about 17, 17 Bible Institute locations in all of East Africa. And only about 40 throughout the world. But we were sending pastors, and we were going, and we were working, and we were building. And then COVID hit, and none of us could travel, and we couldn't go anywhere. But something happened. They begin to believe the methodology that God had put in place in the book of 1 Timothy. And they begin to take it and hand it to Timothys. And from Timothys to faithful men who were also able to teach. And by the time we got done with COVID and I came on board, there were 35 Bible Institute locations in East Africa. And now there are 65 in two years. And There are 65 Bible Institute locations in East Africa. Why? Because they embrace the call to engage in reproduction. 75%. I'm so excited about this statistic. I hope there's actually one muffled amen. 75% of the work that is going forward in East Africa is done by nationals through replication. 75%. Picture this. Picture this. This church reproduce itself again and again and again. We see ourselves spreading out and taking this good theology that you've received and reproducing it. That's what's happening throughout East Africa. And oh man, is God good? And is God big? And is God awesome? And I am... I'm, and I said this last night, and it was not fake humility, I am so thrilled to get to be a part. I'm in my fourth quarter. I resigned when I was in my 60th year. I get to spend the rest of my life getting to work with pastors, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And now, as the apostle Paul said to the church in Philippi in Philippians four fourteen, thank you for sharing with me. Thank you. What you give makes a huge difference. I'm a faith based missionary. That's it. I stand in front of people. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to ask for money. I'm not asking for money today. I'll take whatever you give. I'm a faith based missionary. I'm based out of Thaxton, Mississippi. I travel to Africa six to eight times a year. I manage 65 locations, everything from their finances to their roles to their classes and their class schedules. I, I'm, I work with six regional coordinators and keep them going and together. I train them and they train others. And you know what? I do it cheaply. I really do. It amazes me sometimes at how good God has been to us. And so I'm here to say to you, thank you. Thank you for your gifts. Thank you for what you're giving. And know this, that when you give, when you give, every penny of that goes into the ministry. Every penny. Thank you. And thank you for letting me be here to share a little bit about the mandate, a little bit about the mechanism, and a little bit about the methodology of the way the kingdom is supposed to work. Thank you. God bless.